time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, December 18th, 2020. We are one week away from Christmas Day. I hope you guys are ready. You're counting down the days like I am. Uh, I guess it's more like eight days, but technically, hey, one week from today uh, will be December 25th. And I know a lot of people celebrate on Christmas Eve. We've already talked about that. So uh, Merry Christmas to everyone out there. Is this uh, wonderful Christmas season uh, that we're in. It's always uh, uplifting, I'll say, uh, in some of my most... Eh, down times, I, I would say that the Christmas season always uplifts me a little bit because I know everyone's struggling a little bit at some point in their year. And the Christmas season is kind of the very end of a year, uh, turning the page, if you will. And I know New Year's Eve, New Year's Day is more of the the page turning holiday, but Christmas, really that entire month, it's one final month of a year to get in the spirit, to uh, think of others to to know that other people are struggling like you are, and maybe you've had a great year and you're just extra cheery. You're having that extra glass of eggnog, whatever the case is. Um, I love the Christmas season. I know not everybody does, but for me, uh, I'm refusing to let go of the Christmas spirit here in 2020. Um, I've been working a lot. I, I really I leave early. I'm come home late. I don't see a whole lot of Christmas cheer out there. The only cheer I get really is seeing the Christmas lights, listening to the music, uh, trying to buy stuff online as quick as possible. That's really the only Christmas spirit I can get into uh, because I'm either working at FedEx, slinging boxes, knowing that there are a lot of gifts out there, or I am on this podcast recording episodes. So that's kind of my life right now and, and watching the Rams on Sundays and other football games. Uh, that's kind of what I'm going through right now. But Merry Christmas to everyone out there yeah you're gonna get tired of me saying it i know but uh, guys it's it's the most wonderful time of year and we do have a lot to be thankful for so uh it's it's disappointing when i see people that aren't really in the mood of christmas right like to me it takes me back to when i'm like when i was a kid and i think we i don't think there's one person that can say when they were a kid they didn't love christmas maybe maybe there's a few grinches out there i don't i don't know I got to imagine that everyone when they were a kid loved this time of year. They had to have. It's just, anyway, Uh, great show ahead for you guys today. Um, We got a great guest on, um, and and we also have a great Suds with Studs segment that kind of came out of nowhere. I was watching TV the other night, and this popped up, and I was like, what? How have I not heard of this? And uh, just truly inspiring stuff. So I want to tell you guys today that in our Suds with Studs segment, uh, it's only about 10 minutes, and I wish I could have talked more about it and given more details and everything. It was really inspiring for me. And for those of you who are new to the program or for those of you who need a reminder, we do a Suds with Studs segment on Fridays. And it's just a brief summary, a brief story really about somebody, usually military, police officers, firefighters, someone of that nature, a lot of Medal of Honor winners. Uh, someone that inspires us. We try to honor them for 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 their service, but most of these people are, are in, 
people who've done incredible acts and, and, and you're going to hear one today. It, it, it was amazing what they went through, uh, but also their attitude in recovery. That's all I'll say. Uh, you're you're going to hear it here in a couple minutes and I, I hope you guys are ready. And I hope anyone out there who's having a tough time, we've all had a tough time at some point in 2020, but I hope, hope that anyone who's having a tough time uh, right now, hopefully they hear this. And it uplifts them. It, it motivates them a little bit. I mean, when, when I heard this stuff uh, that I'm going to talk about today in a few minutes we, in our Suds with Suds segment, I was blown away. I was ready to uh, stop my the, the occasional pity parties I have for myself. And I was ready to run through a brick wall. I was ready to do anything. I was so inspired. And I really hope uh, you guys get as much out of this as, as I did. I could have talked for an hour about this individual. And I and I wish I could give more time, more details. But as always, I encourage you guys get out there, Google this name, look up some videos, because I left some things out that were really important. But I, again, it was a little rushed. And when you hear this name in our Suds with Studs segment, please uh, check it out. Spend a few moments of your time. You will be uh, very happy that you did that. And we call it Suds with Studs, as you know, because these are people that we would absolutely love to sit down and have a beer with. And we would not just buy the first round, but every single round. And uh, it's something, it's a little corny, but we continue to do it on Fridays before our long form interview with our guest. And our guest today is Joe Wellman. He is a return guest. He was here a few months back uh, he's an assistant basketball coach at California Baptist University. They play in the Western Athletic Conference, better known as the WAC, a Division One program in Riverside, California, which is just up the road from where I'm sitting here at my home in Eastvale. Um, they're doing great things. They've, they've achieved great success at the Division One level already, uh, coming off a very productive Division Two run. Um, uh, just great things ahead, and I hope you guys enjoy this interview. I talked with Joe a lot about some of the challenges regarding COVID. Uh, if the season was even going to start, okay, now that the season is starting, what do we have ahead? What, what do we have to look forward to? What What's it going to be like for Division One college basketball teams, coaches, players, fans? I mean, what's it going to be like here in a brief time in 2020, but as it goes into 2021? So it was really interesting conversation with Joe. You know, you ask you ask Joe Wellman one question, and he'll talk for five minutes without taking a breath. And I love him. I love him. But you'll, you'll hear exactly what I mean, uh, Big Joe. It's been a long time. He and I go way back. We used to play against each other as kids in, in a youth program. We were teammates in high school for a short time, and uh, I, I'm very proud of his success. Uh, he, he and I have interacted here and there just about, you know, coaching and officiating. And, and it's always a fun time talking with Joe. So we talk mainly today about college basketball in uh, this crazy time that we're in. Some of the challenges and uh, obstacles, we'll say, that uh, exist. And, and I'm sure you guys uh, will get something out of this. So that is the plan for today. Joe Wellman interview, uh, talking some college hoops. And then uh, right before that, our suds with studs, suds with studs segment that I think you guys will really enjoy. Uh, well, guys, I talked about Christmas a little bit, and I won't ramble too long because we have a rather long interview with Joe Wellman to get to. Uh, but I do want to say it's amazing to me when people like refuse to embrace joy. You know, have you ever been around people that like? It's like, dude, you just don't know how to be happy. You see it a lot with people like dating. They're either people are like picky or 
they're not sure what they're looking for. They treat dating like they're going into a store. They're like, hey, I'm not sure what I'm looking for. I just know I need to shop for some food or shop for some clothes, but I'm not sure what I'm looking for. Well, I mean, for example, in dating, I mean, you should have some type of list. (laughs) You shouldn't get too dialed into that list, but there are some people that just do not know how to be happy. And, And I've preached a little bit about Christmas time right now, you know, People don't know how to just be happy. What makes you happy? I talked not too long ago about fear. And I and I'm not some some great prophet or anything. I'm just I'm just rambling here as I often do. But what makes you happy? What what is what is your list of joy? Are you able to be happy at Christmas time or or do you look at it as oh this is this is an ops this is just something stupid that comes around every year and people pretend to be happy. Well, I get that. I, I get that some people do pretend to be happy and nothing drives me crazy when you see people who pretend to be happy that you know aren't happy. You know it's 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 fake. But there's plenty of people out there who don't know how to be happy. And, and it might be something as simple as uh, uh, watching a ball game and having a cold beverage. I tell Valerie that all the time. I go, I go hey, outside of uh, going to dinner with you, babe, I mean, this is pretty much heaven to me. I mean, <laughs> sitting on a couch for a few hours of the day, having a few cold ones. I mean, life doesn't get better than that for me. But again, it's because I have someone like Val in my life who makes me extremely happy. And we don't see each other as much as we'd like because of our work schedules now. All right. But but it's like embracing the little things, I think. I don't think we do a good enough job in society. It's like we're always looking for something negative. I'm not saying don't complain over... Uh, you know, some of the major issues we have out there, but man, all I ever see is people crying over spilled milk. It's like, really? Why are we complaining about this? Why are we, why are we uh, getting offended by certain things? Don't, don't you have something better in your life? Don't you have someone to go home to that makes your life a little more happy? Don't you have a, 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 an interest, a hobby. I mean, if you're offended by everything out there, everything out there makes you sad and mad. And and trust me, we've had plenty of it this year. We've had a ton of it in 2020, 20 things to be depressed about. I'm not saying you can't be depressed here and there, but when it's always there, when you don't have any joy, well, I mean, what are we doing? Something out there has to make you happy. Maybe it's a Philly cheesesteak. I don't know. I know that makes me happy. makes a few of my friends happy. Something as simple as that. Something as simple as a tall, big, hot, black cup of coffee in the morning. I don't care if I'm waking up at 5 a.m. or 1 p.m. Hot, black cup of coffee is gorgeous to me. It's absolutely my mouth craves it in the morning. And I was never a coffee drinker growing up. And then I started to try it and like it a little bit. And I put cream and sugar and all these different things. And I just evolved into an adult, I'll say. And uh, drank coffee how it was intended. But anyway, um, that makes me happy in the morning. Little things Val does for me. Little things I do for her. I know that makes her happy. I mean, just being around each other. I talked about watching a ball game. Believe it or not, doing this podcast, it makes me happy. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, man, I just rambled. I sounded like an idiot. But you know what? It's okay sometimes to be an idiot, to dance like no one's looking, to to 
to just embrace what truly makes you happy. Have that extra cinnamon roll, whatever. It's Christmas time. So me and Sam always tell each other when we, this time of year, my brother, when we start eating terrible, we're just like, oh, it's Christmas. <laughs> it's the holidays. Oh yeah. We made this a 60 day celebration. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I digress. I just, my challenge to you guys in this Christmas time, it's so easy to be sad. It's, you know, I, I'm there with you. I hear you there. But I think the true challenge is being happy. What a better time to reflect on the great things that we do have because we I've said things can always be worse. And I say all this today because I think when you hear this Suds with Studs segment, I think when you hear what someone goes through and their outlook on life, it's going to change your attitude. It's going to make you realize, man, I need to pick it up. I could be sad or or angry or whatever for a short time, but I got to flip the script and be positive and appreciate what I have and be happy for goodness sake. Wins, win, loss. Hey, that's part of life, but it is how you respond. You know what I mean? Be happy. If you can't be happy in Christmas of 2020, when can you be happy? Because the whole year has been terrible. So let's try to take this last uh, week before Christmas and make the most of it. Yeah, that's me, Mr. Shy Guy, Matt Hersma. Say hello to a stranger. And that's not something I ever do. <laughs> uh, play that Christmas music a little louder. Reflect on your, your great blessings. Think about another a previous Christmas. Whatever makes you happy, embrace it. Share it with others. And I'm telling you right now, after you hear this Suds with Studs segment, uh, you, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna look within and be like, "Okay, I can be happy. I can choose happiness. I can choose to live a life to the fullest and not be boggled down by negativity or obstacles." So I hope you guys get as much out of it as I did when I heard and read about this individual. Let's get right to it. Happy Friday to everybody out there, guys. We're seven days away from Christmas. Merry Christmas to all of you. And if you celebrate another holiday uh, or you don't celebrate Christmas, hey, I still wish you a Merry Christmas because it's a holiday I celebrate. And me telling you Merry Christmas is not about offending you. It's me telling you how much I care about you, how much this holiday means to me. So me wishing you a Merry Christmas is, is my way of telling you, hey, have a good one, even if you don't celebrate it uh, like I do. So let's get to our Suds with Studs segment, and then we'll go right from that into our interview with California Baptist University assistant basketball coach, Joe Wellman. Happy Friday, guys. I'm so glad you're here listening to this podcast. One week from Christmas, I can't wait. We'll be back after our interview with Joe Wellman. Well, guys, it's Friday, and on Fridays, we like to talk about some heroes. We like to talk about people that can truly inspire us in our segment we call Suds with Studs. And, of course, we call it Suds with Studs because these are people that we'd, we would absolutely love to sit down and have a beer with, and not just by the first round, but all the rounds. And I have a real treat for you today. Uh, I was sitting at home after work 
uh, late at night, had the TV on, was kind of flipping channels, and I saw something on the Navy SEALs, and I'm, I'm always intrigued by the SEALs, so I, I started watching it, and I was uh, overcome with uh, just emotion of, uh, with with who they were talking about. They were talking about this Navy SEAL and this mission that occurred in Fallujah uh, in, in Iraq uh, back in uh, 2007, and the person that they were talking about, they were interviewing him, and he was telling the story firsthand. So it was very interesting. This this mission in the middle of the night, uh, very dangerous situation. And, and the person we're going to talk about today is Lieutenant Jason Redman. Uh, he's a retired U.S. Navy SEAL. He's currently a uh, a. a, a the spokesman, uh, kind of a motivational speaker and everything. And, and I was just very inspired by the story I was seeing on the television. And I read up a little bit about Mr. Redman, uh, just cause I wanted to like, I wanted more information on him, much like I tell you guys, right on suds with studs. I can only talk about these people for a few moments. I encourage you guys to, to read more on these guys. Uh, and, I, and so I wanted to, to learn a little bit about him and I was just blown away by not only what happened uh he was wounded in combat but it was it was more after he was wounded not just in the fight itself but in his recovery and i think that's a big part of why he is uh the motivational speaker that he is because i'll tell you right now we've all had a rough year right we've all had uh lost jobs uh separated from family all kinds of tough times uh but i think chris redmond's or excuse me jason redmond's story uh it, it can really uplift somebody, and, and so today I want I want you to hear uh, about Mr. Uh, Jason uh, Redman. I think it's truly inspiring stuff and something that we can all learn to uh, to be a lot more positive, to you know deal with the adversity that life throws at us. So uh, I'll I'll read to you now about Lieutenant Jason Redman, a retired Navy SEAL. Uh, on September 11, 1992, at the age of 17, Redmond enlisted in the United States Navy. His first two years in the Navy were spent working as an intelligence specialist, working for the Navy and the Naval Special Warfare. In 1996, Redmond graduated BUDS Class 202 in December of 95 uh, and earned his SEAL Trident. Redmond then took part in several counter-narcotics missions in Colombia and Peru. By 2000, he had risen to the rank of Petty Officer First Class. In December 2000, he was an instructor for SEAL Team's Basic Land Warfare Block for training. For a year and a half, he taught marksmanship, reconnaissance, surveillance operations, and advanced communications. Shortly after, Redmond was selected as one of the 50 enlisted personnel in the Navy to participate in the Seaman to Admiral program, which would put him on the officer track. On September 13, 2007, during a special operations mission, Redmond was struck by machine gun fire. It first hit him in the left elbow and then in the right side of his face, entering his jaw and exiting through his nose. At the time, he was acting as the assault force commander. Their mission that night was to capture a high-value Al-Qaeda operative. In all, Redmond was shot seven times to the face and arms. Lieutenant Redmond arrived at the National Naval Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland on September 16, 2007. 
As of 2002, he had undergone 37 surgeries and required 1,200 stitches, 200 staples, 15 skin grafts, and one tracheotomy. Redmond lost his sense of smell and has a limited range of motion in his left arm. While Redmond was recovering, he hung up a sign on his hospital door. He said, The sign came about because a few people came into my room with sorrow for the wounds I received, and I pledged shortly after I was wounded not to feel sorry for myself. So I wasn't going to allow anyone else to feel sorry for me. This is this is the part I was just blown away by, guys, and I I just I was reading this and man, almost came to tears. Uh, just unbelievable stuff. Uh, Redmond hung a bright orange sign outside his room, and here is what it said: "Attention to all who enter here. If you are coming into this room with sorrow or to feel sorry for my wounds, go elsewhere. The wounds I received, I got in a job I love." Doing it for people I love. Supporting the freedom of a country I deeply love. I am incredibly tough and will make a full recovery. What is full? That is the absolute utmost physically my body has the ability to recover. Then I will push that about 20% further through sheer mental tenacity. This room you are about to enter is a room of fun, optimism, and intense rapid regrowth. If you are not prepared for that, go elsewhere. It was also signed, The Management. The sign attracted then-President George W. Bush, and Redmond had a chance to meet him in the Oval Office. This sign still hangs at the wounded ward of Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. Redmond founded the nonprofit organization Wounded Wear while he was recovering, Because of his scars, he was always being asked if he was wounded in a car accident or a motorcycle crash. Redmond was never asked if he was hurt in combat, and that made him bitter. After a culmination of questions, he decided to design a t-shirt that read, Stop staring. I got shot by a machine gun. It would have killed you. On the back of the t-shirt was the American flag. After getting positive feedbacks from strangers, Redmond realized that other wounded soldiers must be feeling the same way. Wounded Wear was founded in 2009. This organization donates clothing kits to wounded warriors in combat and to families of fallen soldiers. The kit contains clothing like jackets, workout gear, and t-shirts. They also alter clothing for soldiers injured in combat to accommodate their medical devices. Everything is done free of charge. As of 2014, Wounded Wear has donated 2,000 kits. In March 2015, Redmond announced plans to hire a professional to take over his role, but Redmond will remain the spokesman. Redmond also travels the country as a motivational speaker. He has spoken to Marriott Corporation, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the U.S. Men's 2010 Olympic Hockey Team. He is the head of staffing at Blue Star Veterans Network, where his job is to hire and employ wounded warriors and service disabled veterans. Redmond started writing his memoir, The Trident, The Forging and Reforging of a Navy SEAL Leader, while he was in recovery. It was co-authored with John Brunning. Well, guys, uh, Mr. Jason Redmond. I can't say enough about you, not only for your service, but also your attitude 
after uh, being wounded in battle. And it, you are right. It probably would have killed a lesser man. But you are somebody that is truly inspiring. And I just can't believe that there are more people like you out there. There's people like this that defend us, that go out and, and do these remarkable things and serve us and, and are just They've never met us, but they, they do these things for us. I don't think you guys can understand. I mean, really think about that. These people do these things for us, not knowing us. So Lieutenant Jason Redman, I salute you, sir. You are someone I would absolutely love to have a beer with and not by just the first round, but every single round, sir. You are inspiring. Uh, I am so motivated now. I mean, every little thing that happens to us, guys, some of us get so uh angry and upset and do feel sorry for ourselves but when you hear a story like that i don't know how you are not just overcome with emotion and ready to rock and roll and ready to conquer any mountain i I mean i know i am so uh lieutenant jason redmond thank you from the bottom of our hearts thank you for inspiring us and, and, and giving us hope that, that there continues to be amazing people like you and, and people that we want to continue to talk about uh, every single Friday here on our podcast as we honor people like you in our segment, Suds with Studs. Okay, joining us today is a return guest. He was back on the program back in May. He is the assistant basketball coach at California Baptist University. He is Joe Wellman. I've known him a long time. We go way back to our Care Youth League days, Real Hondo Prep days. We won't talk too much about that this time. We'll try to talk mostly about college basketball and and what it's kind of been like here in the year 2020 as the season is off to a a good start so far for most people playing all their games. So, uh, Joe, uh, welcome back to the program. It's good to be back with you. Let's talk some basketball. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. I'm uh, very excited to be now a member of the Two Timers Club on the uh, (laughs) Get Home Safe podcast. So, um, yeah, thanks for having me, and I'm excited to talk some ball. Awesome, man. Well, uh, you know, Joe, we we will have you back as a college basketball analyst at some point when we break down maybe some March Madness, if that still happens, uh, you know, in America these days. And uh, if all things go well, you know, maybe you guys have some, well, I don't know if you have, you still in the postseason ban really for making the, the, the transition to D1? Yeah, we, um, we got a waiver submitted um, and approved that allows us to compete in the, uh, like our conference postseason. So we can go to Vegas now and playing our conference uh, tournament. Um, so we got that approved, uh, which is new. Uh, but yeah, we still can't play in the actual NCAA tournament for two more years. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, you guys are doing what you can. I know uh, it's it's about, you know, it's going to be a fun journey to eventually get there. But California Baptist Lancers are, are doing well so far. Um, you guys are, we're recording this on Sunday. You guys played last night. Uh, you got a victory over Let's see here. Uh, that was Fresno Pacific. Yep. Uh, put over 100 points on them, which is cool. And I know they're a Division II school, and you, you're, you're playing a D1 schedule with a few uh, mixed in there. But everybody does that. All the D1 schools do that, really. So uh, what's it been like, kind of uh, your most recent games with wins over Fresno Pacific and uh, St. Catherine earlier in the week? 
Yeah, I think um, it's like you said, uh, obviously we're, we're division one now, but we've got a couple non-division ones uh, sprinkled into our schedule, but even, um, and, and this is probably the gist of what we were, you and I were going to talk about anyways, but even those two games. Uh, so originally on Tuesday, we were supposed to play UC Davis um, at, at home. And then Thursday we were supposed to play Elkhorn state. Who's a division one um, back, uh, back in like the East or whatever um, at home as well. But uh, Elkhorn state had a couple guys test positive in their program uh, last weekend. And so that game got canceled uh, late Sunday and then UC Davis, um, is in a, uh, what I would say is a fairly liberal County up there and, uh, in the Sacramento area. And, uh, even though the stay at home order, uh, hadn't affected them yet, uh, their County went uh, kind of above and beyond and said, you guys can't leave the County. Um, so that game got canceled. And so, uh, Sunday as well. And, and I happen to do our scheduling on the staff. I mean, it's, it's a group effort between our head coach and myself, but, I'm kind of the guy on the ground. And so we were just scrambling to, to find anybody with availability. Um, you know, cause we didn't want to, we didn't want to play on December 4th and then not play again until December 16th, which is our next game um, at university of Arizona. So uh, we just scrambled to try and find some people and the two teams we played St. Catherine and Fresno Pacific happened to be what we could get. And, um, and that's kind of been the season on the whole, I think for a lot of people, I mean, every time you turn on ESPN, it's, uh, you know, UConn went on pause recently and, and uh, it's just all these different programs are going on pause because of, you know, sometimes just one positive test in the program, um, whether it be asymptomatic or symptomatic. And, and so the teams that were supposed to play those schools are kind of scrambling like we did to try and find games. And all of a sudden you're traveling when you weren't supposed to, you're playing at home when you weren't. And, um, and I think in, in big time college athletics, um, where it really affects you is, um, you know, we have guarantee games in basketball and football, um, you know, where uh, smaller schools are, are being paid a, a fairly large amount of money to go play at some bigger schools. And, you know, if you if you were, you know, like I, I brought up UConn, UConn went on pause. If you were a low to mid major that was playing at UConn when they got paused, well, you might have been getting 75000 to go play that game. And that might be money you need from a budget standpoint to function. Mm-hmm. Um and now all of a sudden you're out 75,000 and, and you got to find, find ways to get that money back. And it's just been, um, man, it's been tough. Uh, I think across the board with, with the pauses and, you know, people trying to figure out, well, why are teams going on pause, you know, yeah. and, and, and different stuff like that. And, and that's kind of where we've been, you know, we've been fortunate that we haven't had a single positive since July on our program. Um, and, and that was kind of the disheartening thing for our guys is when we had to tell them, those two games got canceled this past week. Um, even though we knew we were going to do our best to try and replace them. Um, it's just a little disheartening to, to tell your guys, Hey, you guys have been handling your business. You kind of honored the bubble we've created on campus and you guys are doing everything you're supposed to do, but it's these other programs, um, that have kind of tripped up a little bit. Um, and that's why we can't play. And, and then even that, right? Like, you know, I'm sure Alcorn state wasn't running around doing a bunch of stuff they shouldn't have done. Um, obviously this is an airborne virus that can get anybody at any time, no matter if you wear four masks or not. Um, <laughs> and so it's not necessarily all their fault either, but it, but it is a, it was a tough blow to tell our guys like, Hey, I know we didn't test positive, but, um, we can't play these games. Uh, but it's been going on across the country. Um, so mm-hmm. there's some, some solidarity in that just, yeah, everybody's going through the same thing. Oh, no um, doubt. but yeah, no, it's been crazy, man. 
Well, well, there's so many things to talk about, Joe, and, and I want to try to make sure we get to all of them. But uh, you, you brought up something there as far as, you know, mid-major programs going to play bigger schools. Um, that is something you see in football. And there is, yeah, some uh, money exchange between athletic departments. Do you have any insight as to why that is? You know, wh- why does in football, uh, you know, uh, Texas Southern or whoever goes and plays uh, University of Texas in football and, and, and these bigger universities, they actually pay the smaller schools. What is the reasoning behind that in scheduling? I mean, you said it, it happens in basketball as well. Wh- where did that all start? Wh- why, did, why is that still a thing? I, I still can't really wrap my head around why uh, teams like pay each other to come uh, play them. Yeah, I don't know where it started, um, but it, it definitely is still going on right now. Um, yeah, I think um, I think at some point in time, the haves um, figured out that there were a lot of have-nots across mm-hmm. the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really what it is, especially at the high major level, because we, we got paid a decent amount of money to go play at USC uh, this year to open the season. And um, just from talking with their people, I mean, for them – um, you know, it's, they're cutting us a check to play. Uh, it's relatively, uh, you know, it's a certain percentage of what they think they're going to make. Now this year's check we got from USC was significantly smaller than normal because there weren't fans. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, they, for some of these bigger programs, um, you know, they've got normally they've got gate, they've got obviously the in-game revenue and stuff they've got, they're getting paid for having the game on TV typically. Um, you know, there's all these different things that, that come with that. And so there is incentive for them to play as many home games as possible mm-hmm. because it's the way to make the most money. So um, it's kind of a way like revenue sharing type of a deal for, again, to bring in a, a and anytime, by the way, anytime I use the term smaller school or mid-major, whatever the term is, it's not to diminish that university. Yeah, It's just, uh, you know, make no mistake, the power five uh, conferences have a ton of football money. And, and so that's just kind of the nature of the business. So uh, the haves and the have nots, that's interestingly a way to put it. Uh, I, I think that makes a little bit more sense to me in the audience. Yeah. It's, so it's a way to, Hey, come play this uh, tune up game, if you will. And it's an opportunity to play a decent opponent. And then it's also a way to make money. So everyone kind of wins in that scenario. And, and Joe, you mentioned your opener against USC on Thanksgiving Eve. Um, you know what? You guys uh, hung in there with the Trojans. You took, they took them to overtime. Uh, USC uh, eventually won the game 95 to 87. But what was that like to open up your season at the Galen Center and taking a Pac-12 team to overtime? Uh, for me, it was, I, I think, well, for our program, it was great. Uh, that's a game we had been trying to get for several years. Um, and, you know, we, we don't have to play Garrett. We're, we're very fortunate to be at a university that gives us pretty much everything we need to try and be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't necessarily need guarantee games, but we've always tried to um, kind of test ourselves against the best people kind of in our area, whether it's, you know, we've had UC Irvine on our, on our schedule the last couple of years. Um, who's kind of been like one of the better mid-majors in Southern California over the last, I don't know, six, seven, eight years. Um, probably them in South, South uh, San Diego state. And, so we've always tried to get UCLA, USC on the schedule, schools like that, Pepperdine, um, some schools like that. And we haven't really been successful. Um, and some of that is, I think, a lot of respect for our program. I think they know how good we are. Um, and for them, they'd rather pay basically what we just talked about. They'd rather pay um, someone that they think is a little bit less quality 
to come out and play the game that they can feel maybe a little bit less stress playing the game um <laughs> then bring you know then maybe potentially playing us the same or you know maybe a slight discount for a game that i think they're perceiving is going to be a lot more stressful um and uh we always felt like we can compete at that level we always thought we were a good matchup with usc just kind of with the way they run the program the last couple of years and you know because of covid um they had games canceled and we had games canceled and there was a time, especially in California, um, because of how, ah, gosh, um, I don't know, just kind of how crazy some of the rules and restrictions have been in California compared to some other states. Um, we kind of got with USC and said, look, uh, there's a chance that the only way we can play any games in California is if, is if it's just against each other. Um, <laughs> because we just weren't, we weren't confident that the governor at the time, uh, for a long time, that the governor was going to let teams from California leave the state and come back or um, bring teams in from, you know, places that maybe the virus is a little bit more prevalent um, and bring those state, you know, bring those teams into California. We just, there was just a, a big fear of that early on. Um, and you know, that's part of why we went out and got Long Beach state on our schedule and UC Davis originally and USC, like we tried to get more something, uh, some more California teams because we felt like this might be the only way to play games. Anyways, I digress. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. So we, we, we get that game with USC um, and we were pretty stoked. I think as a program, uh, definitely as a coaching staff, we were really excited because we thought we matched up well um, and kind of both our style of play versus theirs. And, and again, it was just a game we've been trying to get for several years. And so to be able to get that game, have it be the first game. Um, and then again, feel feeling good that we thought the game would take place. Um, really allowed us to kind of rally the guys, um, you know, a couple months ago and say, look, you know, circle 1125. And, and, and some of it was just how great is it going to be to just finally compete? But also it was USC. Yeah. Um, and so we were able to really kind of rally the guys around that date and, and prepare and, and kind of really get fired up for that game. And, and then, you know, for me, it was a little bit special. You know, I grew up a USC fan and I'm still a big USC football fan. And um, as you know, and, so there was a little bit of that too, like for me personally was, you know, getting to go to USC and, and play that game. Um, and uh, yeah, no, we, we did. And, and it played out kind of how we thought it could. Um, we played really well. We were a tough matchup for them. Um, you know, we try to attack teams from the perimeter. They try to attack teams from the interior. And it was kind of uh, a battle of that is, is was their front court going to be better than our back court. And for most of the game, our back court was better. Um, I mean, we were up five with a minute and 30 left oh. and, and just, um, just didn't make the plays down the last minute 30 that we needed to. And then, yeah, went to overtime and then they, they kind of, they kind of took it to us in overtime. Man, but. Joe, that reminds me of, uh, our junior year at Chadwick when we were up four with a minute left or something and we lost, yeah. I couldn't believe we lost that game. Uh, yeah. well, well, I mean, you guys played great. You were tied at the end of the first half, tied at the end of regulation, uh, unfortunately, you know, they scored twice as much as you in, in overtime, uh, 16 to eight. And, um, you know, that, that, uh, that'll put the nail in the coffin. So that, did your team feel confident after the game? They were obviously disappointed, but did, did you and your head coach, Rick Croy, did they feel like, Hey, we're going to have a great season or, uh, did that kind of outweigh the disappointment of the night? I think, um, I think there was a couple minutes of some real disappointment and a lot of guys in that locker room were dejected. Um, I think where, where our head coach um, is really good is, uh, is getting guys to, 
to understand what, whether it's in practice or it's in film or whatever, I think he does a really good job of getting people to understand what exactly happened. So it's not about whether or not we lost or won. It's about what really just, what really just occurred for the last 45 minutes. And so when we went in there, we met as a staff briefly, we went in there and you could see the disappointment. And like I said, a lot of dejected faces in there, but I think what our coach was able to get conveyed to our guys was look, we, we're always on a pursuit of the perfect effort. It's not about playing perfect. It's never going to happen. Um, but we want to, we want to be able to, when, when the game's over, say we, we did about as everything we could from a competitive standpoint. And, and we did that night. Um, th there was, there was no, we call it loser talk, but there was no loser talk. There were no excuses being made during the game. Everything was about getting to the next play. It was about what could we do? Uh, to get the next stop or to get the next back, the next basket. Um, every guy, whether it was the 14th guy on the bench or the starting point guard was pulling for their teammate. I mean, it was uh, it was a pretty fun night in that regard. And I think our coach did a good job of getting them to understand that, Hey, the, these are the things we build our program on. And, th and it just happened. Now we didn't win the game, but we were pretty darn close to a perfect effort. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think once he was able to kind of convey that to the guys, they, they started to feel a little bit better and it became more about, you know, man, we almost had them as opposed to like, man, we almost had them. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I got you. And uh, so, yeah, we were, um, you know, I think the guys were pretty optimistic. I think they probably felt like, man, we got a chance to be pretty good. I know we felt the same way, but we knew, you know, athletic sport is so crazy. I mean, it's, it, it's the same reason why it never works when you go, um, Hey, uh, you know, USC beat UCLA and UCLA beat Washington and so USC should be Washington. You know, that yeah. doesn't work. No, it um, doesn't. I hate when And <laughs> so, you know, as a coaching staff, we're trying to get our guys to understand like, hey, we can be optimistic. You know, I think we, we played really well. We can, we think we can be good. You know, we got to keep working and stuff, but it doesn't mean, um, you know, it doesn't, USC's turned out to be really good um, with how they've started, but it doesn't mean we're really good. It just means we played really well that night. And, um, but we can be good if we keep working. And then sure enough, uh, we lost our very next game and to a, a team that I think played really well that night, but is not, they shouldn't have beat us, um, to put it nicely. <laughs> um, and so, and that's, and that's sport and that's athletics. And that's basically what it, we told our guys after our second game is, you know, Hey guys, we came off the USC game thinking we could be really good. Um, you know, and then we lost to Southeastern Louisiana. And so are we not good? You know, it's just. We just, uh, it's just athletics, man. It's crazy. And you, you really got to perform each and every night and you got to come with a great competitive effort. Um, and, and obviously there's a lot that goes into that, but yeah, I mean, no, but it was a great night and, and we competed well and we got so many calls and emails and texts and some different, you know, from all, it was on Pac-12 network. And I think a lot of people watched it that night. And, um, and so it was really encouraging. I think it was a good night for the program um, to kind of, uh, I think it's good for the brand. Um, to just kind of be in that game and, and, and be on TV and, and, and get some exposure to some people. I think we gained like, like 1200 Twitter followers that night, um, <laughs> something crazy like that. And, you know, so again, just good for the brand and good and a good night. But again, it's, it, it's only, it, it's only as good if you, if you can carry that forward and carry that momentum forward. Um, it's great. Obviously we lost the next game, so we didn't do a great job of that, but, um, we've kind of feel like we've righted the ship a little bit, um, since then winning three straight, but, um, you know, we'll see if we can carry that into Arizona next week.
Definitely. Definitely, man. Well, uh, you know, it's interesting to me, Joe, that, you know, typically on average, give or take college basketball, it does start around Thanksgiving. Okay. You could say a little before, whatever. Um, there's usually, you know, these preseason tournaments or whatever, but college basketball generally starts around Thanksgiving. And this year, uh, was really no different. There was some, some minor adjustments here and there, but college basketball, there was this huge buildup to college football. Like, is it going to play? Who's going to play? How many games are they going to push the season back? For the most part, college basketball has not only started on time, but it kind of happened without any, like, I don't know, big push in the media or really any, any drama from a fan's perspective. Now I know there was probably plenty before the season. So last time I talked to you was May. Uh, it's now uh, December. You guys have a couple weeks of the season in, under your belt and the season started, we'll say on time, but what was the buildup for you guys in the summer and the early fall months? Uh, was everything still up in the air? Were you guys being handcuffed? Did you think you weren't going to play until 2021? Take me through all of that really uh, in the buildup from the summer until where we are now. Man, um, it's, it's been a roller coaster. Um, I think it was everything you just said it might have been. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, starting in March, right, the, 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 everything hits. Uh, we sent everyone home. We didn't get any postseason. All that stuff happens. Um, the NCAA puts in a, a, a recruiting moratorium. Uh, in April. So we were not uh, division one uh, athletics, sports, colleges, whatever, weren't allowed to recruit off campus or bring anybody on campus starting in April. So you, you had to do everything through zoom. You had to do everything through FaceTime, phone calls, all that stuff. Um, and we were, we were pretty, this is going to be program specific, but we were pretty um, stressed because we lost, I think 11 of 13 scholarship guys. Um, and so then to be told you can't go off campus and you can't bring anybody on a visit, go replace 11 guys was pretty stressful. <laughs> um, and so there was a time where just kind of casually as coaches, we would say like, gosh, are we going to be able to fill the team? Can we get enough guys through zoom? And, um, we able, we were able to, and then, and then you kind of got to a point where, you know, everything was still going on. You're still in law. I think when we talked in May, I mean, we were still very much in basic lockdown, relatively in California. Um, and so then it was, okay, are, we have a team. Is, is the NCAA going to, going to allow people to, to train their teams? Um, you know, are they going to allow people to come back on campus and can you, can you do practice? Can you work out? Can you do weightlifting, stuff like that? Um, and so there was a period where we didn't know if that was going to happen. Um, and then about in June, um, when they approved football uh, to come back on campus and start training, um, I think they realized, well, we can't, we can't keep basketball from coming back now. So then they allowed us to come back. So at the end of July, you were allowed to bring your teams back on campus and start training. So we did that. Um, so then you get them on, on campus. And, and that was probably the most difficult time because we've got all our guys on July. We got them there. We're training. We're in the NCAA allows you eight hours a week total per week in the summer. So we're training them, but there's nothing to communicate. We don't, we can't tell them for sure we're going to play. We can't tell them for sure there's going to be a season. We don't know any of that. It's, it hasn't even been discussed uh, at the NCAA level. And so you're just kind of training. And I think we did a good job of, of getting our guys to understand, like, look, whether we play games or not, let's, between now and when school starts, let's just see how good we can get as individuals. Because eight hours a week is not a lot of time as a team. 
Um, because that eight hours is spread out across, and, and most people don't know this, but you know, whenever you hear the, uh, the, we demand too much of our student athletes crowd. And every time you hear that talk, um, I mean, we're only allowed eight hours a week. So that's eight hours split between, uh, you know, practice as a team, strength and conditioning, what uh, is that, an hour and 10 minutes a day. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 you know, and so if you want to live for 45 minutes, well, now you got 17, you know, you got seven hours and 15 minutes left. Um, and so that's what you get in the summer. So we just kind of said, look, uh, one hour at a time, one day at a time, eight hours a week, one week at a time. Let's just see how good we can get um, in this time period. And if they do allow us to play games, we'll, you know, we'll enter the fall in a really good space. So, um, you know, we, we were able to kind of convey that message and, and we had so many new guys. Um, I mean, like I said, we had to go get 11 guys. Um, we've got 60 on the roster right now and only three um, of those 16 really played any minutes at any college program last year. We've got a couple grad transfers, a couple transfers, um, but they were all guys that didn't do much where they were before. Um, so they came in with chips on their shoulders and a lot of proof. I think, um, you know, like our, our starting five, for example, is from the university of Florida, never really got on the floor there, but thinks he's a really good player. And I think he's a really good player too, but, but was excited to get somewhere where he could potentially show that. Sure. So it was an easy group to motivate from that standpoint because they all came in with chips on their shoulder and they all came in with a lot to prove and were a lot like us. They were just, you know, they were putting their head down and going to work and just kept saying to themselves, I hope they let us play. I hope they let us play. <laughs> yeah. um, so then you get into September, you're, you're, you're training your teams in the fall and we still don't have anything from the NCAA. The NCAA didn't come out and tell us until about October. Um, that we were indeed going to have a season. It was going to start on, on November 25th, which is about a 10 day delay from where it normally does. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, but once that, that announcement came, um, there was a lot of excitement, I think across the country for a lot of people, I know, especially for our program. Um, and then again, then you start, you're able to start working on your schedule. Now that you know, when the season's going to start, we got the SE game scheduled and then, it was kind of on from there, but yeah, there was a lot of uncertainty for a long time um, because the NCAA, I think because football took priority, um, they were just trying, they were having to make so many tough decisions and so many big decisions kind of on the fly in real time with limited data, um, which our president says is the true definition of, of leadership, right? It's high stakes decisions in real time with limited data. And, and that's what the NCAA was doing is they're trying to figure out how can we do football safely when we don't really know a lot of stuff. <laughs> and, um, and so they were really focused on football. Basketball was on the back burner. They completely pushed fall, the other fall sports at the spring because they didn't want to deal with it. Um, but yeah, we didn't know until like October 15th that we were going to actually play games. Um, so there was really only like a 30 day window where you're like actually practicing and you're like, Hey, we're going to play. Um, so it was a, it was a crazy time, but yeah, there was a lot of excitement, but to your point, it, it did kind of fly under the radar because obviously football always is, is at the forefront regardless. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think with all this stuff, it, it really was at the forefront because you're not only are you, you know, you're seeing, you know, Oh, did Alabama win the game? But you're also, the next headline is, you know, Auburn cancels games due to positive test or yeah. this was going on. And then you had the normal. I mean, don't even get me into the politics. Um, <laughs> you had the, you had the election stuff dominating news cycles. You had all that stuff. You had COVID, you had governor lockdowns, all that stuff is dominating the news too. 
Then you get to the football stuff. That's dominating like kind of the secondary news cycle. So basketball, like you said, really did fly under the radar. And there were so many people that we played on November 25th and we're like, Hey, I didn't know you guys were playing. I'm like, Oh yeah. <laughs> now, you know, so, <laughs> now um, you know. but it was crazy. So much uncertainty. And, and, and I think probably the most challenging times in a, in a lot of oh, college, yeah. college basketball coaches across the country in their careers, because you trying to get guys motivated, trying to get them kind of focused on what could potentially, and you just didn't know anything. We didn't, no. you just didn't know, you know, and uncertainty and, and that's tough. It's, it's like, um, I, I was talking to Mark Carson a couple months back and I told him, cause he was kind of asking about this stuff. I'm like, it's like you won the CIF semifinal game and you're like, Hey, we're in the championship, but nobody tells you when the game is. <laughs> and you're just every day you're showing up for practice, for practice, for practice, for practice. And you can't tell it. You can never say, Hey, we're playing on that Saturday. Mm -hmm. It's just every day it, at a certain point in time, somebody's going to go up and say, coach, what are we doing? Like, are we ever going to play the game? Why are we still doing? I still remember Wednesday night conditioning, right? When are we still doing Wednesday night conditioning? If we, if, we don't even know if we're going to play. Yeah. It was, it was, it was just crazy that in that regard. And, um, we always knew we would play. I think the NCAA did a good job at least of communicating, look guys, there's going to be football because we need the money <laughs> and there's going to be March, man. There's going to be some, there's going to be some sort of NCAA tournament because we need the money. So we'll find a way to make it work, but you just didn't know when it was going to happen. Yeah. And, um, and that's why I say it's, we knew we would play. We knew, you know, Rio Hondo was going to be in the CIA football championship, but we just didn't know when that game was going to be. And, <laughs> We're just, it was just Groundhog's Day for a long time. And uh, yeah, just so challenging to keep guys motivated and focused on the right stuff. While also like, I think making sure like guys, if we test positive, we don't get to play the games. So not only do you got to stay motivated, you got to work hard, but you can't go off campus. You can't go do this. You can't go do that because we got to keep testing negative. It, it's just, it's just been, and even now, I mean, we had to talk to our team after our game yesterday. Guys, we're really excited for the Arizona game on Wednesday. We can only play the game if we test positive or test negative. And yeah. so having to constantly remind them like, hey, go be college students, but don't really be college students. 20-year-old yeah. <laughs> <So>, men. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, can, you can be a college student as long as it's in your dorm room and nobody else is there. <laughs> oh, man. It's just saying you, you, can't, you can't police it all. People have to take responsibility. You have to control what you can control, right? Yep. And, uh, you know, it, it's tough because, yeah, college kids, I mean, I applaud all these schools that were able to play football because all mm -hmm. summer we were told, oh, it'll never happen. Well, they did it. There were some hiccups. Uh, there was yep. cancellations. And then, oh, wait, never mind. Yeah, we are going to play Pac-12 and Big Ten. Yeah. Bunch of, anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but it got done. It got done. And so for, for you guys to be playing basketball, I think it's great. Uh, one, one thing that, you know, the Western Athletic Conference doesn't have currently, the WAC, is football. You guys mm -hmm. didn't have football to kind of gauge off of like maybe other conferences had. So was that kind of a challenge knowing that, hey, basketball is really the start uh, of, uh, of the WAC season in, or the biggest part of the WAC season in sports? Did you guys uh, kind of know that it was going to be tough to have to kind of carry the torch as a conference, as a sport in, in men's basketball uh, without really having uh, put your foot in the water like uh, having football would have done? Yeah, I think um, I think our our conference leadership was had a tall task of, you know, 
when yeah, like you said, we're in a conference without football. So basketball is obviously the, the big, the big ticket for our, our league. And we need the basketball money to, to survive as a leak um, because we don't have football. Um, so there was a lot of pressure on them to make sure they found a way to make basketball work. Um, and uh, again, without having, you know, a football, football to kind of use as the guinea pig and see what worked and what didn't work. Um, you know, it's funny you say that because we, we were communicated early on in the process, um, kind of what you just said, hey, we're putting all, they, they put our conference push spring or fall to the spring as well. And they said, look, we're going all in on basketball. All the eggs are in, in that basket. And we're going to, we're going to work tirelessly with the coaches, with the administrators, the presidents of the different schools to, to find a way to make basketball work for everybody. Um, and, uh, but what they did mention was, you know, we have New Mexico state in our league, um, for, for every sport and, but they are FBS for football. Uh, yeah. And, um, so what they did mention was, um, they were going to work with New Mexico state football to kind of get a gate as a conference to get a gauge of what maybe they experienced in the FBS season, um, that they liked, they didn't like what worked, what didn't work. And that completely went out the window early because, um, New Mexico ended up, I think their governor is like trying to get on Biden's cabinet. I'm actually like, I'm not saying that like, uh, like gossipy. I think that's really a thing. Um, if you, if you Google her and so she came down really hard on New Mexico and New Mexico state ended up moving to Las Vegas, um, to, (laughs) to, to practice and play and do all that stuff. So the early thought of, well, let's just work with New Mexico state and let's see how it goes for them. And went out the window because they were put in a, in a, such a unique circumstance because of what happened in their state that it didn't matter what their experience was. There wasn't going to be anything we can pull from that as a conference and say, okay, this will help us form basketball because they were in such a weird, I mean, they moved the entire, they moved all 85 athletes and the entire program to Las Vegas. They've been there for like four months and they're playing games in, in, in Vegas and practicing in Vegas and living in hotels. It's like, that's not, that's not how, anyways, Yeah. my point being, they <laughs> thought they had a football program to reflect on and to help them kind of with their guidelines and protocols for basketball. And then that, that just completely went out the window. Um, but yeah, it's been tough. I think, um, you know, I think our, our league has been kind of really trying to watch what others are doing around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know our, our WAC medical team has been working really, really closely with the PAC 12 medical team. Um, I think they were able to, uh, like they piggybacked the PAC 12's deal, um, with like rapid antigen testing and stuff like that. They were able to kind of work with the PAC 12 to kind of get into that deal. Um, so now we have like rapid, you know, we have eight minute antigen testing on campus now, um, that we're able to do. And, and then even we've got some rapid PCR access to rapid PCR testing. Um, and that was just from our whack people getting with the PAC 12 and saying, Hey, can you guys broker this great deal for your league? Can we piggyback it? Mm-hmm. Um, so they've been, you know, they've been working with some other leagues and talking with a lot of other leagues about football and how things went and um, you know, and, and, and again, putting our ourselves in a better position to play basketball. I mean, the rapid testing is a game changer. I think it became a game changer for athletics across the country. Yeah. Um, you know, when you got to a point where you could, you know, put a Q-tip in your nose and find out five minutes later if you had the virus or not. Um, and for a long time, we were, you know, especially when we got our guys back on in July, I mean, you're, you're spitting in a tube and you're sending it off to a lab and we would know in 48 hours. Um, and that, that, I think everyone knew that wasn't going to work. 
you weren't going to be able to play if every time you got tested, you had to send it off to a lab for 48 hours. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and I think what's, what's been good about football is I think enough of the season took place. Um, enough teams traveled, enough teams played, enough people practiced that I think the NCAA has a good handle on what, as a whole, what works and what doesn't work now. Um, even for basketball, the, the, the guide, the guidebook they put out, the NCAA, as far as this is what the testing cadence needs to look like in order to play games has changed drastically mm-hmm. um, based on the information they've attained from the football season. And it's made it so much more easier to get to the games um, even, and we just know so much more now, right? Like I think now it's down to a seven day quarantine. If you're asymptomatic positive, um, yes. you know, before yeah. it used to be 14. Um, so, so much has changed and, and, and a lot of it I do attribute to, I mean, football really, you know, because they decided they were going to go play. I mean, now we've got hundreds of, I mean, you know how big these football teams are, like got hundreds of kids traveling in, in, in planes and buses and in hotels and this and that. And, and they're being, they're being able to get to the games. So clearly there's, there's some good takeaways from that. And I think it's being applied to basketball. And, and, but again, I think, you know, the WAC isn't the only conference in America that only, you know, that doesn't have football. Um, yeah. But I think they've, I think those conferences and ours in, in particular have done a really good job of leaning on, um, you know, the, the FBS, the power fives and I guess the power sixes and, and being able to get with them. And, and like I said, I mean, we're basically doing PAC 12 testing in the WAC um, because they just, they just made a phone call and said, can we piggyback your deal? Um, so it's, uh, it's going well. Um, I, I, I knock on wood every time I say it's going well, easily not go well. Um, but so far so good. And mm-hmm. you know, we'll, we'll see. It's just, uh, you just take it day by day and you just, every time we get tested, we just cross our fingers. That's it, man. That's all you can do. Yeah. You know, yeah. As soon as things do start to go well, I think whether it's basketball or just life with all of us in 2020, uh, let me ask you a few things that have changed, Joe, uh, uh, as far as the season is going to go. First of all, at least in California, uh, no fans. I want to know what that's like. And then also we're going to talk about your conference play, making the switch from instead of generally playing, uh, we'll say Thursday, Saturday, or yep. Wednesday, Wednesday, Friday, or Wednesday, Saturday, uh, two different opponents in conference play. Um, the WAC, like a lot of other conferences, have adjusted their schedule. So now you will play Friday and Saturday, back-to-back nights against the same team. Uh, so whether you go to New Mexico State, you play them uh, two days in a row, or say Utah Valley comes to your place, you play two days in a row, uh, that's kind of the new conference format. So uh, number one, what's it like playing without fans? And I know some college teams, it's like, well, nothing's really changed because there was never fans <laughs> here. But, yeah. but, but then the conference play, kind of talk about both of those, if you will. Yeah, the, the fans thing has been, has been tough for us. Um, we've been fortunate to to play four games, uh, four home games, uh, four of our five games have been home games. And we had been putting so much into our community the last couple of years and oh, yeah. that we, that we've developed. I mean, we, we averaged like 4,000 a game last year. Um, and we were third in total attendance in all of Southern California behind USC and UCLA. So um, I'm sorry, fourth behind San Diego state, USC and UCLA. And, um, which is huge. Cause there's some good, I mean, you got, you think of Pepperdine and oh, yeah. you think of UC Irvine, what they've been able to do and LMU and Hank gathers, Bo Kimball, all that stuff. Um, so to be, I mean, to be in our third year of division one basketball and to be, you know, fourth in attendance in Southern California, um, 
I think is a, is a testament to the Inland Empire community, but also kind of what our school's been kind of investing in the community. Um, so for us, it's been a huge loss um, because it's been one of the one of the things that's separated us from our mid-major peers in Southern California. Um, it's obviously been a big sales pitch for us on the recruiting trail and, you know, being able to send pictures and videos of these monster crowds and, and, and yeah. to different people. And, and then also to our guys, right? You, you get used to, you know, a thousand person student section and, and you get used to all that stuff. And so, I mean, they're, they're piping in fake crowd noise. Oh, it's not and, the same. It's not. The and same. it, yeah. And it's just not the same and it's, and they're trying their best. I mean, this, and this happened at USC. I still remember, um, we got a steal at USC and whoever's operating the, the, the crowd music uh, pushed the wrong button because it was like a, a, a large ovation when we got the steal. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, ah, this guy was a little bit late on the button. You know, you got you to gotta press the large ovation button when, when something good happens. Um, but everyone's trying to do their best. It's just not the same. Um, and it's, it's just been weird. Um, but where I, where I also think it's been good for us is we are very much a, a high energy program. And okay. um, we put a, a huge emphasis on talking and communicating and different stuff like that. And I do think um, there are going to be the, some of the teams that do really well in this thing are going to be the ones that bring the better energy um, that are talking. Cause at the end of the day, they got fake crowd noise, but it's an empty gym empty and, gym. and you have to, there's no extrinsic motivation in these games. I mean, it's all got to come from yourselves and um, you know, and I think that was a little bit of what happened at USC. I think we, I think we were the more energized team. I think we were the more excited team. I think we were the more together team at the time. And, and I think it helped us. And I think that's going to happen a lot for a Do lot of people. Do you think it's kind of an equalizer maybe for some of the mid-majors? And, you know, you're not going up against the, these, these huge ACC. Well, I don't know how they're going to do things in those conferences. But you're, you're not going up into these huge crowds, Pac-12 crowds or whatever. I mean, it's got to buy you a couple points, doesn't it, Joe? I mean, not having huge crowds, uh, hostile environments, we'll say. It's just kind of, hey, two teams playing in an empty gym. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, I mean, you're definitely the home court advantage is definitely not the same. I mean, it's uh, obviously playing it, playing on the road is, is there's a reason why home court advantage exists at the college level. I think in, in, in high school, there's obviously you can have some really good home court advantages in basketball and football. Um, but it's different when you're getting on a plane and you're flying across the country and then you're getting on a bus and then you're driving to a hotel <laughs> and then you're at a hotel and then you got to go play the game. I mean, that's part of the, the home court advantage in, in college athletics um, and even in obviously professional athletics. And, um, but yeah, it, I think it's, it's way different. I, there used to be a running joke amongst coaches that if you played at Duke, you started the game down 12. <laughs> um, one, one, because coach K was their coach. And two, the Cameron crazies were good for like six points. Yeah. And, you know, maybe, maybe they're only starting up four points now. I don't know. And maybe <laughs> that's why they're losing games. And that's why he doesn't want to play non-conference basketball anymore. I don't well, know. Well, I but, saw that, Joe. Why, yeah. why, why is Coach K scared? I mean, he, you know, is it, why is he, I'm going to say it. Why is he scared to play basketball? Why is I, it just because they're losing now? He, now he thinks it's unsafe. Come on. I think that's, I, I think that's obviously the, the popular opinion. I will say this, and I'm not – a, a coach K sympathizer at uh, all. Um, obviously <laughs> I respect everything he's done. Um, but I will say this, he, in his defense, he has been very outspoken from the beginning that we shouldn't play non-conference basketball. 
Yeah, he has. Um, he, he always said we should have started the season in January and we should have just played conference basketball and, and, and made it work. Um, so at least he's, you know, he was a big part of that movement. Now, I would say once you decide to go along with playing non-conference basketball, then you should just finish your non-conference basketball. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing that's funny about it is, and I, I think our, your, your, the people that listen to your show will find this funny. The thing that's funny about it is he, they make an announcement that this big announcement, they're going to cancel non-conference basketball. Well, they only had one non-conference game left. <laughs> so it's kind of like when LSU's three and five and they go, Hey, we're going to impose a postseason ban on ourselves. Yeah. Like it, it's, it doesn't, I don't know if it means much, you know? No, it, it doesn't. And so it'd be different if they had six more games left, but you had one left. So I don't, I think it's a, a lot of it's a much ado about nothing, but I also think, um, you know, but at least he's been consistent in his messaging that he didn't think we should have been playing that at all. But anyways, um, yeah, but yeah, so the, the <laughs> but yeah, so the home court advantage thing is definitely a thing. It's, 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 I think it's definitely hurt people. Um, and it's definitely been a unique experience, but I think, um, like I said, I think there's a lot of fiery coaches out there that, that, you know, make energy and enthusiasm and attitude and all that stuff, a big priority in the programs. I think they're going to do really well, um, in these empty gyms. Um, as far as the, the conference schedule, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, a lot of it is some of it's player safety, obviously, if you're, you know, like we start, I think at Utah Valley this year, um, in our conference schedule, we played twice there. I think there's the, the idea that, you know, in a typical year, we'd go to Utah Valley we play them on Thursday and then we would fly to Seattle. We'd play Seattle on Saturday. Um, and I think the idea is, well, it's one less, it's less hotel nights. It's less plane trips. Um, you know, you don't got to go to another city. Um, it's just a lot safer. And, and it's where I think the NCAA has done a good job making their adjustments is I think they understand, like, we just got to get as many games done as possible. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and what's gone out the window is competitive equity and equality and fairness and all that stuff's been taken off the table. Cause obviously, wait, I saw you know, a bunch of hashtags that, that said all those things all the time this year. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. It's all, yeah, I know it's all, but it's all been taken off the table in terms of, you know, like we play, we have to play both our New Mexico state games at New Mexico state. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're the best team in the league. So is that fair? There's another team that get, you know, there's other teams that get to play them both at home. Yeah. Do both are, you know, so that part of it's been taken out. It's just about how do we just get the most games possible? Um, you know, now I, we're, our program is, we try, our coaching staff is very much glass half full. So like for us, yeah, we got to play GCU, both games on the road. We got to play New Mexico state, both games on the road. Those are the, probably the two best teams in our league right now. Um, but we get to play, you know, Texas Rio Grande Valley, both times at home and Tarleton state, both times at home. And I don't know if people know where Stephenville, Texas is where Tarleton <laughs> state is. I didn't until they joined our league this year, but it's in the middle of nowhere. You, you got to fly into, you got like flying to Houston and drive like two and a half hours in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So I'm more than happy that we get to play them both times at home and Rio Grande Valley. When you drive, this is a true story. When you, the first time we ever played at Utah, UTRGV, you, you have to fly into El Paso. And then you have to drive like two hours um, and, uh, and to get all the way because it's like right on the border of Mexico and Texas. Yeah. Oh, when it's down there. Dri- and when you're driving, you, you, you see, 
you see the wall. Well, not the wall. It's a fence right now. You see the fence. <laughs> and, and literally, it's, you're driving this plane. You're like, where are we? And you see, you can see into Mexico and you see the shanties and all that stuff. And you see this little tiny fence. Now, I will say this between year one and year two, this is for the political crowd on your show. Um, so three years ago or two years ago, we went to UTRG for the first time. And um, it's just, we drove by, I don't know, pro you probably drive by 70 miles of just chain link fence. And now, now, two year, last year, it's probably only 50 miles of chain link fence. And 25 miles is this massive, it's, it's the wall. It's the wall you see. Um, so cool. um, it is being built down there and it is, <laughs> it is real. For the people that say it's not real and there's nothing being done, it's definitely real. I've seen 25 miles of it firsthand. So Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, got, I got to go down there for baseball two years ago. And I, yeah, I flew, to, I flew to San Antonio and drove like three and a half hours just to- crazy. Yeah, it, it's so hard just, to get there. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's way down there. And yeah, you feel you're like, wait a minute. This is, are we in Mexico yet? Cause it sure feels like we are. Yeah. Oh man. What a place. Yeah. That trip's no fun. I'm glad that they're coming to you this year. Yeah, no. So we, we traded off, you know, probably the two tougher teams with the two toughest travel teams. Uh, we get them at home. So, but again, it's just, um, it, it's funny. Cause when the WAC was floating these schedules, you did have coaches getting caught up in their normal, um, bravado and yeah. machismo and they're like well you know this isn't fair I gotta I gotta go to Grand Canyon twice this is that's not fair and then eventually that all kind of wore off and said like all right what do we gotta do to play games yeah that's it um, but it's definitely safer um, the back to you know it's interesting the back-to-back -back thing um, I think the WAC and like the NEC the Northeastern Conference um, which is like in New York um, were the first two leagues to actually come out and do back-to-backs um, because what they realized was, um, you know, what the way the CDC guidelines were, if you played on black back to back nights, you didn't have to test in between. So Ooh. you, you just got to test. Um, if you do a antigen test, you have to test 24 hours or the day of the first game, you do a PCR test. You can do 48 hours before the first game. Um, but then you didn't have to text. Uh, you didn't have to test on the second game day. You just had to test when you got back home. And so um, that makes think, a lot of sense. So again, in the, in the guise of let's just, how do we play the most games possible? I think what the WAC understood early was, well, the odds of playing the second game go up dramatically if we don't test in between. It's yeah. just, that's just how it's going to be. Now, is there some beautiful naivete <laughs> in part of that? Yes, absolutely. Um, but I think everyone's acknowledging that, um, uh, you know, but, you know, because originally the, the WAC had announced we were going to do Thursday, Saturdays, and there was going to, it was going to be the same site, same team, but there was going to be a day in between. And then that's when they were like, well, the CDC says we got to test in between those two games. And then that's when they adjusted it to Friday, Saturday. And then pretty much everybody followed suit. Now, the PAC, just to give you some scoop, I think the PAC 12 right now is they're going to do pods. I think they're going to move to a pod format. Um, like the, the example I was given was USC, UCLA uh, will be obviously travel partners. They'll fly to Washington, for example. They'll play Washington State and Washington at the same site. It could be in Pullman or it could be in Seattle. Um, and they'll basically play their full season's worth of games in seven days. So USC will play uh, Washington State twice in one week, and they'll play Washington in twice in one week up in Washington. So you'll play, each team will play four games in seven days. They'll take a week off in between, and then they'll do it again. 
Um, so that's kind of what they're working on right now. So some different teams are, I think, going to, wow. and that's in light of the recent spiking and different stuff like that. Um, people are trying to have backup plans. Um, but for the most part across the entire country, everybody's gone to the, uh, the, the back-to-back, uh, conference schedule, same, same site, same team format, but yeah, I'm looking at it now. I mean, the big West is doing that. That's interesting uh, concept with the PAC 12. Um, yeah, you got to get the games in. And yeah, I do think that's kind of a naivete little loophole there to uh, not have to test. I mean, yeah. you, t- it's funny with college basketball, you might early in the season play back-to-back games, but you typically don't play back-to-back games until the conference tournament. And that's really the only time you do it. Uh, you definitely yeah. don't play the same team on back-to-back days. So what, what, what do you make of that, Joe, and seeing a team? Because generally you play a team once, okay, you got a couple weeks to break down the film and come up with a new game plan. But now, almost like baseball, mm-hmm. uh, you have to turn right around the next day and play them again. Baseball is a different animal because you got different uh, a new pitcher and all this stuff. But, but with basketball, you're going to be doing this all season, not just back-to-back nights, but the same exact team both nights. What, what do you make of that? What are the challenges? Yeah, I think it's uh well one the the biggest challenge right off the bat is it's gonna be long nights. Um, <laughs> you're, you're gonna play on Friday, uh, you know I think uh we play Utah Valley. I think our first game it's like at 5 p.m. local time. The game will be done around seven. You'll leave the you'll leave the arena probably about 7:30. You'll eat. Um, you probably won't get back up to the hotel room to as a staff to break down film and talk about the game until about eight you know eight thirty nine o'clock. Um, and then you'll be. <laughs> we'll be up all night. Um, it's just break, you know, breaking down the film and what we did well, what we didn't do well, what we got to change. Uh, you know, do we need to adjust on ball coverage or when they hit us with this, do we need to do something else? Do we need to help? Anyways. Um, it's, uh, I think it's going to make, yeah, I think it's, it's, I think in a weird way, it's going to be fun. Um, I, I, I don't want to call it a chess match, but, um, I do think it, there's going to be a lot of, you know, what can you, what can you get done? you know, conceivably get done in a 24 hour period to, to potentially change the outcome of the second game. Or if you won the first game, what can we do? What can we get done to make sure we win the second one? Um, you know, I think there, there are going to be teams that maybe save some stuff, you know, um, there's always some of that. Obviously you're, you're an athletic guy, you know, like sometimes, you know, early non-conference football, you, you know, you maybe are a little bit more vanilla in your play calling. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and then you, cause you don't want to put stuff on film. And it's the same thing. I think there's going to be teams that don't run stuff early in the season. And maybe they don't run in the first game because yeah. they want to have it for the second game and vice versa. And um, I think there's going to be a lot of that. I think it's going to be a little bit fun in that regard. It's just, you know, and again, it's the, it's the equality, you know, everybody, Utah Valley and us are going to finish that game at the exact same time, how we handle our time in between those two games is going to be completely different probably. And the emphasis are going to be completely different, but you know, what, who, who can get more done in that 24 hour period? Um, yeah, you know, to hopefully come away at the second game with a win. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's nothing we really had to do because even, even uh, traditionally when you play back-to-back games, you, it, it's usually different teams. So like, for example, uh, last year we played in a non-conference tournament. We played, uh, I think we played a, uh, Central Arkansas on a Friday, we played Georgia State on a Saturday. Well, one assistant is assigned the Central Arkansas scout and a different assistant is assigned the Georgia State scout. So while we're prepping for Central Arkansas, you do have another assistant who is mm-hmm. diving in and digging in 
to Georgia State and is learning everything about them and this and that. And that's going on simultaneously. And so as the Central Arkansas game is ending, the Georgia State guy is already ready to present. And he already has everything. This thing's different because, yeah. uh, you know, there's going to be one guy who has the Utah Valley Scout. And there isn't like simultaneous prep that can really be done. And so it's just uh, it's going to present some unique challenges. I think it'll be fun. Um, it'll be interesting. Yeah. And uh, I actually think there'll probably be, you know, I think there'll be more splits than normal, um, you know, because I just like I said, I think a lot of it's going to come down to how do people manage their units of energy in between the games. It's almost yeah. like one big game with. Yeah with a, a long halftime if you think and maybe and maybe that's how they should do it maybe we yeah. should just be playing four halves and there's just <laughs> and there's just a 24-hour halftime i don't know i think it'd be kind of cool that's it that's it man uh very cool well let me ask you joe uh specifically about your you know I, i'm college basketball i'm really not even in the mood mm-hmm. for it yet but but uh, hey it's the holiday season let's let's talk a little uh college basketball number one give me uh give me a couple names of players in your conference. I know you're a little biased with Cal Baptist, but uh, give me some names uh, of players in the conference who are the best in the conference. And then also nationally, I know you're, you know, the national game as well. Give me some players that we should all uh, look out for, or we'll know their names by the end of the college basketball season nationally. Some of the best players in the country. Yeah. Uh, the whack. Um, I, like you said, I'm biased. Um, I think the WAC is a much better basketball league than people think. Um, I think what the problem is, I think people get caught up in what the WAC used to be. Um, and I mean, the WAC used to have Nevada and Fresno state with Jerry Tarkanian and BYU, and, you know, like it used to be a monster Nevada. It used to be a monster basketball league and people who know that, I think they look at the WAC now and they go, wait a minute, I don't see Nevada here. I don't see BYU <laughs> and there's no Utah state. What kind of, this league's not very good. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a better league uh, than, uh, than people think. Um, so I'm hoping that some of these names I throw at you will make it to the mainstream. I just don't know if it will. Um, but uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, I'm a big, I don't want fans not there. Am I even allowed to say that? Am I allowed to be a fan of another team's player? Um, I wouldn't say fan. Uh, so Grand Canyon has a really good big guy, Alessandro Lever, seven foot, can shoot it, can post. Um, I want to say he's like 18 a game right now. Um, I think he just became like the fifth all-time leading scorer in that school's history uh, the other night. Grand Canyon's much better this year than they were last year. Oh, wow. um, they're, they're, coming off a, they're coming off a big win against uh, Nevada a couple of days ago um, in which he played really well. But Alessandro Lever, I think, is really good. Um, and uh, he'll be a pro at some level for a long time, um, whether it's overseas or Australia or whatever. Um, he'll play basketball for a really long time. Um, I think uh, Utah Valley's got a, a really intriguing big guy, 6'11 dude from Canada. Um, I'm going to butcher his name. Um, it's like Fardaz. He's like Middle Eastern. Um, <laughs> Fardaz Imak. Um, but he leads, the, he leads the country in rebounding. He's 15.6 rebounds per game. Um, 6'11, 250. Uh, we played at their place last year. He was redshirting. He was sitting out because he was a transfer. And I remember asking one of our assistants, I go, dude, who is the, who is the monster <laughs> in the sweatsuit over there? And we were like, dude, this guy's big. And uh, sure enough, I think he's like 17 a game. And like I said, he's leading the country in rebounding wow. 15.6 rebounds per game. Um, well, that head coach over there, mad dog, Mark Madsen yeah. leading the Wolverines, right? Yeah. Mark Madsen. I think he's doing, <laughs> I think he's doing a good job. 
Um, I think uh, when they went through their coaching change uh, two years ago, there wasn't a lot left in the cupboard. Um, so I think he was trying to do his best uh, to kind of get as much talent as he could in there. And, and this year's team, I think, is very much more in how he wants it to be and his, you know, kind of made up the way he would want it to be. Yeah. Um, and uh, so those two guys really stand out. And then there's New Mexico State. New Mexico State's – New Mexico State's – they're loaded. Um, <laughs> they just uh, – they've got 10 guys I think could play on any team in our league. I think any team in our league would be glad to take them. Wow. Um, the guy I'm looking at from them uh, to kind of make some noise is a guy named Donnie Tillman. Um, he was like 12 a game as a freshman at Utah, University of Utah, and uh, ended up transferring to UNLV. Um, was about 12 a game there too. And uh, he graduated, grad transferred. So he graduated and then transferred to uh, New Mexico State for his last year. Um, and they haven't played very many games, uh, cause like their football team, they've had to relocate to Arizona. Um, so they're living at a, at a resort in Arizona right now, outside of Phoenix, um, just trying to find ways to play in practice. So they haven't played a couple of games. So his stats are not indicative of what they will be, but I think he's still like 16 and nine a game, um, big time athlete. Um, he's the guy I think in our league, um, that probably has a chance to be an NBA player. Um, he's just got. He's mm -hmm. just got the physical intangibles to play at that level. He's athletic enough. He's big enough. He's long enough. He's skilled enough. Um, it'll just kind of, you know, we'll just obviously a lot goes into playing in the NBA and being a pro in general, but sure. see how that plays out. But I think he's got, he's got kind of that potential. Um, as far as the country, <clears throat> I think everybody should be watching Luke Garza as much as they possibly can. One, because he's, he's like the great player that shouldn't be a great player. Like he, he's like the, the working man's like, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain. He's like I the like working, it. he's like the working man's great player. Um, for a long time, people were joking about it on, on Twitter the other day. Cause he scored like 21 straight points for Iowa the other night. And, um, they were joking on Twitter that for a long time, his only offer was Binghamton. <laughs> and, um, like he kind of just, he kind of just flew under the radar um, for much of his high school career. And uh, I think he'll probably be the player of the year. Um, I mean, I'm looking at it right now. He had, he had 34 uh, in his last game against Iowa state and he went 13 for 14 from the field. Um, but he's a, uh, he's a big dude. Um, <coughs> 6'11, 270. I think he's, he's averaging, I'm looking at his numbers right now. He's averaging 30 points and nine rebounds per game right now. Is it 270? Um, yeah, he's huge. Oh. huge. But he can, oh. but he can oh shoot it. He can shoot it. He can put the ball on the deck, plays hard. Um, we'll probably get a cup of tea in the NBA because of what he's gotten done. Oh, man. But he's not like he entered the draft. Uh, I put his name in the draft last year and he was not on a single draft board. And this is a guy that had just won the big 10 player of the year. If, if we had gotten that far, he probably would have won the wooden award. Um, but we didn't get that far because we didn't get the postseason. Everything got shut down and, <laughs> and he couldn't get on a draft board and he he's returned and he's, he's having an even better year than he had last year. And uh, again, I think he'll get a cup of tea because of what he's at, at the end of the day, the NBA will for the most part reward, like you'll get a shot. If you, if you demonstrated an ability to get stuff done at a really high level Oh sure. Um, in a good program. Now, whether he sticks or not is different, but he's, but you look like you look at him, 6'11, 270. He looks like he could be my cousin. 
I, I <laughs> like he just you know he's not when you watch him out there he's not like he's ripped or shredded or you know he's got like a normal guy's body and he just gets stuff done and I really enjoy watching him because he's just so skilled and so savvy um if you've ever played with Todd Carson he plays like that <laughs> oh I'm being serious but he's 6'11 270 wow. Okay. He just he's got a really good understanding. You know, he he pump he'll pump fake a guy four times until he gets him in the air, and 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 get the angle he wants. Like he's just so patient, he's so savvy, so skilled. Um, but again, I think a lot of people that don't know who he is will enjoy watching him play because he he looks like he could be your neighbor. Luke I mean, Garza. it's just um, wow. and uh, so he's uh he's like my absolute favorite player. Okay. Um, and then I think um. You know, uh, USC, I mean, obviously we played them. So we had a first, uh, Evan Mobley, um, who's from the Inland Empire, went to Rancho Christian, um, seven foot. Uh, he'll probably be a top, conservatively, he'll be a top five pick in the draft. Um, I think he's like seven foot, seven That's foot. crazy. I mean, USC just lost a couple guys to the draft. I mean, high yeah. draft picks. I mean, they're, they're reloading some talent over there. Yeah, no, they've, uh, they've done a really good job. Uh, you know, USC basketball is not that much is not that undifferent than um, the football program. They mm-hmm. they always have talent. I mean, even when USC football is not great, Lane Kiffin years, Steve Sarkeesian years, what, however you want to explain it, they've always had great talent. I mean, Paul Hackett can't win a game, but he's got he's got Carson Palmer as a starting quarterback. Like, talent's <laughs> never been the issue at USC. It's it's coaching. It's the, you know, are the guys they're getting, are they high character or their knuckleheads? There's a lot that goes into building a team. Um, the basketball team has been the same. They, they've always had monster talent. It's yeah. just, are they good dudes? Do they work hard? You know, like I said, there's a lot that goes into it. And um, we don't always know those things as, as casual observers. Um, yeah. And, uh, but yeah, no, they've reloaded. And um, so Mobley, Evan Mobley at SC. Yep. Evan Mobley at SC, Luke Garza, at Iowa. Um, those are the two that I, I enjoy watching the most. Um, and partially because they're so different. Lou Garza, like I said, 6'11", 270, looks like my cousin. <laughs> looks like he could, he could live down the street from you uh, by the, uh, the Edwards in Eastville. And, uh, and then you got Evan Mobley from Rancho Christian from the Inland Empire. And he's like a, I mean, he looks like a thoroughbred. Seven foot, seven foot three, seven foot four wingspan. Really long, lanky just, you know, long strides. He's a little bit thin, um, but not in a bad way. And, and he's more, uh, you know, he's more Lamborghini, whereas Luke's more, you know, John Deere. And, <laughs> um, but they're both extremely talented. And Evan will be, I, I think, I think in the most recent Draft Express, like Mock Draft, which is kind of, Draft Express is kind of like the, the mock draft that people go off of. I think he's going like they have him as the third pick in the draft right now, Evan Mobley. So, um, but it, it's all, and I'm, and I've been kind of rooting for him because he is, I mean, the guy used to come to our high school team camps um, yeah. and would come to our camps and stuff. And so I'm kind of rooting for him because he is an Inland Empire kid, um, kind of helped build the Rancho Christian program. And, and they're, that, that program is really good now. And, uh, and then, yeah, and stayed at home to go to USC and, but the, those two guys, I think, will, will be fun ones for people to follow. Oh, man, absolutely. Yeah, now I'm kind of getting that college basketball itch now as, as kind of Christmas rolls around, uh, you know, football kind of goes away, and then there's still NFL going on. But, you know, NBA, it seems like eh, it's a long season. College basketball is like a little more urgency, a little more like, okay, 
this is now we got some stuff to watch during the week so i'll definitely check those guys out um joe you mentioned usc and and we're here to talk some hoops but let's uh kind of wrap it up with uh kind of what happened last night at the rose bowl in pasadena uh ucla i I do want to applaud the bruins the bruins i don't know if they hang a banner for this or not but i want to say uh you know they should hang a banner for playing uh, three solid quarters. Um, that's not quite how you get a W, though. Uh, <laughs> they, they did outplay the Trojans for three quarters. Um, I don't know what Clay Hilton said late in the game and turned the team around, but the USC Trojans uh, with a comeback victory, one for the ages to defeat UCLA 43-39. What were your thoughts on uh, that game last night? Yeah, um, I watched uh... – I think I told you before we started recording, I think I got to watch half of the third quarter and the whole fourth quarter. Um, and and I, I think we talk, touched about this in May when I was first on big SC fan. I grew up a big SC fan. So um, was definitely dialed into that game last night. I think, um, you know, it, I will say this. I'll start off with as a USC fan, it's been kind of fun, not fun. I mean, you'd like them to just blow everybody out. You'd like it to be like the Washington state game every game, um, <laughs> but it can't always be that way. Uh, but it seemed like for a long time, I mean, even when Pete Carroll was there, um, the games they did lose, they always seemed to be the field goal in the last minute, the other team drills or the touchdown. The other, and, and, you know, I'd, I would always watch these games with Mark Carson. We're just yelling each other like, why are we, why are we in zone? Why aren't we bringing extra rushers? Why are we just letting them march down the field? And, you know, and you know, and for people that are casual fans, like Pete Carroll's thing for a long time was we had the best dudes and they just felt like they could sit back in, in zone coverage. And they just felt like people can't nickel and dime us all the way up the field. They just won't be able to do that. Um, but they're, but the games they would lose, that's how they lost. Um, and, and then even in recent memory, Clay Helton and, and even Steve Sarkeesian, Lane Kiffin, like that, they would always, they were always on the resulting end of what happened last night. The team got the ball late. You feel like SC's going to win. There's a minute and 12 left. And you're like, there's no way this guy's going to march down the field. And then they would. <laughs> and then you're like, so to watch this team do, I think that was their fourth time they've scored in the last minute of the game or something. Um, yeah. And they've only played five games. Like they played five <laughs> games and four of them have ended the exact same way. So to be on the other side of it, not once, twice, three times, but four times um, has been kind of fun as a fan. And uh, I really enjoy why I follow a couple like diehard SC football fans. Uh, like I follow USC psycho, um, you know, the guy that's been to like 500 straight games. He has the license plate. They always show him on TV and um, to watch him, he's melting down at halftime. I mean, he's in full blown meltdown mode. This team sucks. Helton's got to go. Where's urban Meyer. We better get him before Texas does. Right. And, all this stuff's going on. And then the game ends. Great comeback. I love this team. They play so hard. They never give up. You know, <laughs> never so, a doubt. Never a doubt. Like, so it's, uh, it was fun to kind of follow these people melt down and then celebrate in, in, in uh, when that game ended, but it was a great game. I will say that I said this to um, a friend of mine yesterday, because I saw a thing about how they don't, the, the PAC 12 was a little bit worried about who's going to play SC in the championship game. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's supposed to be Washington, but they're still on pause or something. They don't know if they will. And I told my friend, I said, if they were, if the Pac-12 was really serious about getting the two best teams right now, they would run it back. It would just be UCLA and USC again. Um, <laughs> and obviously that won't happen, but I think, I think USC is, um, 
the Pac-12 is down. Let's keep it real. It is. Um, it is. But I think USC, in terms of what's gone on on the field, uh, has not only had the better, um, the better moments. Like you know, everyone, every team always has always has flashes of greatness, even the bad ones. I think their flashes have been better than anybody else's, and then obviously they've won all the games. So I th- I think objectively they're the best team in the Pac-12 in terms of what's gotten done, how they've looked at certain times. Um, but if you're looking at what's been going on recently you know, I was worried about that game because UCLA had been playing so well. Mm-hmm. And I think they started out rough. Um, obviously uh, the quarterback missed a couple games because of contact tracing, but even the backup quarterback played really well um, and they were able to win some games. And I thought they were on an uptick. And so I was very worried about that game. And then I think I saw Vegas had SC is only like a three point favorite. So clearly Vegas was seeing it how a lot of people were. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I'm being serious. I think if you were, if you were that concerned about those teams not being able to play and you just wanted to get, if you're looking at it from the standpoint of we just got to get USC another game so they can potentially look well or have a good game, play a good team and potentially just get another opportunity for the committee to look at them and say, maybe we should, we slide them in blah, blah, blah. Then you would run it back with UCLA. Cause I think they're the, I think they're playing the, they're the two teams playing the best football right now in the Pac-12. No, I, I agree with that. I think UCLA has done well. Chip Kelly is slowly but surely kind of getting to where he wants to be. Um, I, I do love the rivalry because it's the only intra-city rivalry. Auburn, uh, Alabama's awesome. Florida, Florida State's cool. Those are all in the state. But when you talk about the same city, the same kids, the same high schools, uh, that's pretty special stuff. And you throw the records out every year. It doesn't matter yeah. if SC's number one in the country or UCLA has two wins. It doesn't matter it's always well not always but usually pretty good game um what about this joe i mean this would never happen but uh the pac-12 has gotten flack for not playing games the big 10 has not has gotten flack for not playing games what if uh what if ohio state and usc just play each other for a play-in a play-in to the playoff maybe say hey this sorry this is what you get for playing uh five games or whatever you're late to the party sorry there's not a parking spot for you yeah, no, I think that'd be great. I mean, obviously the Pac-12 and the Big Ten have always had their thing at the Rose Bowl. And um, I think I think it'd be great. I think, you know, I think Ohio State will probably get in. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think that there's probably, when we talk about this all the time, right? I think, and now that I'm in college coaching, I think preseason rankings are the biggest scam of, it's just, <laughs> it's just a sham. Yeah. Like, and that's really what we're seeing in Ohio State. They, they've played far less games than everyone else in terms of the other teams in like that top four kind of conversation. And obviously they, the Penn State win turned out to like not be a win. Like, I mean, they won, but it turned out to like be nothing. Um, they got the Indiana win. That turned out to be pretty good. But the resume is not exactly stellar. But they're, they're at where they're at because we thought they were good to go into the year. Yeah. And – you know, and I'm not saying USC deserves to be in the playoff. They probably don't. And, but that's kind of what you're seeing. They've both played the same amount of games, but we didn't think USC was as good as Ohio state to start the year. So one team's like in the playoff and the other one's whatever they are 15th. Um, and, and that's why this stuff gets hard in, especially in an abbreviated season. So yes, I am, I'm a fully in for, um, you know, I'd actually in a weird way, I'd like them both to not make the playoff and then, then you can get a Pac-12 Big Ten matchup. It won't be in the Rose Bowl because it's in the playoff, but maybe in the Fiesta Bowl or something. And oh, yeah, I would love that. Yeah, yeah I, I just – I don't have sympathy for these teams that haven't played, you know, 10 games like uh, some of the others have. Uh, I think – and the, the the playoff system in college football is is uh, 
it's better, but it's still stupid. I, I would like to see a, a, a eight, eight teams at least or, or something, some realistic yeah. playoff, not just, hey, you four teams, let's play. I mean, I could randomly just take four NFL teams and make them the, the four playoff teams. I mean, come on. That, that's just yeah. anyway. I think we'll get there eventually. I think, um, you know, obviously it took us, it took all of us fans a long time to, to get them to even do the four team. Yeah. Um, I, am sure somewhere down the road, especially as they realize there's, there's, there's gotta be more money to make too. Um, you know, by having more, more playoff games than just the two. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure we'll get there eventually, but yeah, I mean, and I always knew that about, I was just so happy the big 10, and the PAC 12 decided to play. Um, Finally. I, I, but I, but I, in my mind, I knew, I, I mean, even if SC came out and won every game by 50, I just felt like, I, I don't know how you get there by only playing five games or, or six games or whatever it ended, it ended up being, but um, I'm just glad they played, but it is what it is. I, I probably would take a two, I mean, they're, I think they've only got one loss right now, but say Texas A&M had two losses or whoever else, I probably would take one of those just because yeah, yeah I, they, they've played more teams. They've, they've put more out there and, and, you know, at the end of the day, SC's five and zero, oh, but I think the combined record of the teams they've beaten is like six and eighteen or something crazy. Yeah, oh so, yeah, oh. Um, it is what Pac-12's it is. Rough. Pac twelve is rough. Uh, well, Joe, good stuff, man. Uh, I tell you what, I really want to us to get back to normal at some point, whatever that is. Uh, normal twelve game football seasons, uh, basket college basketball without or with fans. Uh, you know, uh, all kinds of uh, normal stuff. I don't know how far down the road that will be, but um that's what i'm hopeful for um joe i appreciate you coming on man um man christmas season is here merry christmas to you and your your uh, family and the the family at cbu as well your coaching staff uh any parting words of wisdom parting thoughts I, we, we're definitely going to have you back for some college basketball uh analysis towards uh, as they head yeah. as we head into the postseason but uh i appreciate you coming back on today yeah, no, I appreciate it. Again, two timers club. I'm so happy. Um, <laughs> I uh, uh, no, just uh, obviously Merry Christmas to you and, and and yours. Obviously, we, you and I are still celebrate Christmas, um, despite what <laughs> other people, how other people may feel. So, very much Merry Christmas to you and and yours. And no, I I think just everybody, uh, you know, everyone a part of everyone that tunes into to stuff and all the other past guests. Obviously, just. Just keep doing what you're doing. I, I, I very much, uh, this is tough times uh, for everybody, uh, regardless of what side of the aisle you, you reside on. And um, I think everyone just, just keep hanging in there. We'll get past it and, um, uh, you know, we'll make it out the other side. And sooner, sooner than later, I think sooner than later, we'll all we get back to normal life and I can go get a popcorn and a Coke at the movie theater. And you know, <laughs> that's probably what I miss the most, to be honest. Um, and but we'll all get, you know, you just got to hang in there, stay with it. And, um, and let's all just have a great Christmas. Let's oh all, yeah. Let's all make sure we have a great Christmas. Piss a lot of people off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Emperor Newsom, take that. Uh, we are going to celebrate Christmas and uh, looking forward to turning the page on the calendar. Let's get to 2021 and uh, put this year behind yes, us. Joe, I appreciate it, man. It's been a blast. Uh, yeah. We have a lot more to talk about. Uh, we'll get you on the three timers club here down the road. Yes. Sure. <laughs> yes. All right, Joe, have a good one and go Lancers. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Thanks again, Matt.
Thanks again, Joe Wellman, for coming on the program. It was a blast catching up with you and getting some insight into the college basketball season. We hope to talk to you again, maybe during March Madness, to get your analytics and uh, your analysis, I should say, as to uh, the brackets and bracketology, maybe the breakdown uh, of of what's going on, and uh, maybe whoever represents the WAC, uh, you'll have some uh, insight again as to uh, if they can make a run or not. So we look forward to chatting with you during the college basketball season at some point. Appreciate you coming on, Joe. That was a lot of fun. Well, guys, as we head into a sports-filled weekend, uh, I do want to make a few predictions here. Uh, It is championship weekend in college football. There's a few games that are uh, slated for conference championships, and uh, I don't know much about all of these teams, and it's really a crapshoot really with some of the teams on there uh, only playing five or six games, but I'm going to take my best shot at it. Uh, because on Monday, I will be joined, hopefully, by my brother Sam Hurst. and break down all of the action from the week- weekend that was. We'll break down college football. We'll break down the NFL and just have a conversation and maybe talk a little bit more about my love of Christmas and Sam's hatred of Christmas. We'll have a conversation. We get along. Uh, usually, usually we get along. So anyway, here's a quick breakdown I have of the upcoming uh, championship games this weekend. Uh, the MAC championship, Ball State and Buffalo. I know Buffalo's favored big time here, but I'm going to go with Ball State in, in honor of uh, one of my favorite uh, personalities, uh, writers, Jason Whitlock, the Ball State alum. Uh, I love everything he writes uh, and talks about on the Outkick, the coverage uh, radio show and the podcast. He's excellent, he's great. Uh, He's different from a lot of people out there. So he played for Ball State. I'm going to go with Ball State in this one in the upset in the MAC championship. Uh, USC versus Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Flip a coin. Seriously. I mean, USC. USC probably won't start playing football until midway through the third quarter. Uh, The game is scheduled for 5 o'clock. I don't think USC will show up till about 7.30 at night. I do think they hold on to beat Oregon, whether it's a comeback or uh, they just hold off an Oregon comeback at the end. I think USC finishes their perfect season at 6-0, which is uh, a little JV, in my opinion, to only play half a season. Um... There might be some cries from the alumni that they get in the college football playoff, but eh, I haven't been that impressed with their performance. And the Pac-12, is uh, it's down. It's soft, let's be honest. So uh, I, I would love it if USC got in or they got to play in the Rose Bowl or wherever they end up playing that thing because um, that is a playoff game this year. So maybe it'll be called something else. Uh, but USC will, uh, will win the asterisk uh, Pac-12 championship season in 2020. At least that is what I am predicting. But I have been wrong before. Uh, I love Mountain West football. I don't know if I've told you guys that before. Uh, I'm a big Boise State fan, huge Fresno State fan. They always have a lot of Californians on their teams. Um, uh, Southern Californians, that is. A lot of guys with chips on their shoulders, but they're playing a team in San Jose State, Boise State, that is, in the in the Mountain West Championship. San Jose State Spartans, who have not had a very great season uh, in recent history, are undefeated. They're 6-0. and I love Boise State. I love Boise State's uh, tradition of excellence and everything, but I'm going to go with San Jose State in this one. I think they, they beat Boise State and uh, cap off a great season for the Spartans uh, in winning the Mountain West Championship. Uh, Ohio State Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship game. Uh, 6-1 Northwestern goes up against 5-0 Ohio State. Um, I'm going to go way out on a limb here. I am going to say that the Northwestern Wildcats beat Ohio State by uh, probably a field goal or, or less. Some miraculous win. 
I think Ohio State is a, oh, favored by more than 20 points and hands down the better team. But I don't know. I, I'm, 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 I sense an upset somewhere. I could be dead wrong, and Ohio State wins by 30. But I'm going with the Wildcats in this one, the fighting Pat Fitzgeralds. In the Big 12 championship, Oklahoma versus Iowa State, I have those Oklahoma bloodlines, guys. My my grandparents were from Fairview, Oklahoma, huge Sooner fans. The Sooners are favored in this game, but I'm again going with a slight upset. Iowa State hasn't won a Big 12 championship in a long time, so I'm going to go with the Cyclones in this one. I think they uh, they play a close game. Every game in the Big 12 seems to be 99 to 98, so uh, that's what I think is going to happen in a shootout. The uh, Iowa State Cyclones will come out victorious. Uh, in the Sunbelt Conference, yes, that's a Division one conference i'm gonna give it some love because uh, every conference in my opinion should have a conference champion that is playing in some type of playoff i know it's not the case here but louisiana against coastal carolina i like coastal carolina playing in their 12th game louisiana is a good football team but i like coastal carolina here to cap off a 12-0 season uh, Louisiana has only lost once, and they've had some good wins, but I like Coastal Carolina here uh, to come out victorious in the Sun Belt. In the ACC Championship game, yes, Notre Dame finally joined a conference, well, at least for this season anyway. Uh, Clemson will play Notre Dame, and I know Notre Dame beat them last time, but that was without Trevor Lawrence, and I think the odds makers uh, feel the same way. They got Clemson at 10.5 points. I think that's a little high. I think Clemson and Notre Dame will play each other very close, but I think Clemson pulls it out. They came up a little short last time with a backup quarterback, a very good backup quarterback from Southern California. Uh, But I think with Trevor Lawrence, probably one of his final two college games, uh, maybe three college games, uh, I think he's going to come out, uh, blow the doors off, and uh, and really take the Tigers into a championship over Notre Dame. And I don't think this is the last time these two teams play each other, if you know what I mean. Uh, Alabama, Florida in the SEC championship. I think Florida will play well for about two and a half, three quarters. And then Alabama will pull away uh, at the end and, and become the first team to win 11 uh, SEC games in one season. I think they're the best team in the country, and uh, I, I think they will pull it off. Uh, finally, Tulsa and against Cincinnati in the American Athletic Conference. Uh, Cincinnati, 8-0, going up against uh, 6-1. Tulsa, I think Cincinnati will pull it out and finish their perfect season and, and uh, really give the uh, college football playoff committee uh, I don't know, a little bit of reason to at least consider them. I know they won't pick them up, and there's probably plenty of people that don't think they are worth anything. But I'm going to give the Bearcats a little love here. Cincinnati wins over Tulsa and wins the American Athletic Football Championship. Well, guys, that's my predictions for the championship games over the weekend. You may or may not care. I really don't care if you don't care. It's just me rambling away and uh, giving my final thoughts as we go into a weekend here of college football uh, outside of the bowl games, which who knows if they happen or the college football playoff. This could be it. So I applaud the teams that have been able to play uh, that got some games in. Uh, It's been truly remarkable. And uh, Sam and I will break down all of the action uh, late Sunday night. You'll hear it on Monday morning on the Get Home Safe podcast. 
and I appreciate your listenership. I hope you will join us. Guys, there's plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. We would love to hear from you just like you hear from us Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays here at the Get Home Safe Podcast. If you'd like to send us an email, ask me, ask me a question. Tell me I'm dead wrong about a subject. Maybe vent about your favorite sports team. Whatever you got to do, get it off your chest. Send it send it our way. Uh, I can respond if you have questions for uh, Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. Send him some stuff. He loves the, he loves the interaction with the fans. So um, you know where to find us, guys. You know where to find us. Send us uh, that info, whether it be an email or social media or uh, a voice message. You can find that in our episode notes. There's some links there uh, as well as some other information regarding the podcast. I am about out of breath, out of energy. It's time for me to uh, head to bed as I'm up late here <laughs> after work, uh, work at FedEx. But I hope you guys have a great weekend. Enjoy your Friday. Enjoy your Saturday, Sunday, whatever the case is, whatever day you're off. Merry Christmas to all. Enjoy that final weekend before Christmas. I hope everyone stays safe and sane out there with their Christmas shopping, with their Christmas celebrations. Hey, let's get it going. Let's start it a few days early. I am all game. But guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or rounding third base, get home safe. Mm-hmm.